The four of us are here to prevent the apocalypse. We, and when I say we, I mean everyone in this cabin can stop it from happening, but only with your help. Ultimately, whether the world ends or not, it's completely up to you three. You are having a psychological break of some kind. Your family must choose to willingly sacrifice one of the three of you in order to prevent the apocalypse. After you make what I know is an impossible decision, you must then kill the one you choose. If you fail to choose, or if you fail to follow through with the sacrifice, the world will end. Uh, all right, so we were going to do Assault on Precinct 13, as you all know, which we have done. It's been recorded. We're just not going to release it until later in the week because we wanted to do a new release, which was uh, M. Night Shalaman's Knock at the Cabin. And the reason I've chosen this one is because I've seen it and it's really on the fence with me. And I feel it deserved another viewing because most of M. Night stuff does. Good written horror Deserves a second viewing. Unlike that masterpiece, piece of crap, Hereditary. Bullshit. But because, <laughs> because despite Hereditary bringing these great actors and great acting and great scares and good fun, you know the ending destroys it, in my point of view. Far enough. Um, yeah. So the last five minutes was destroyed the film. So there's no point going back to revisit knowing the outcome is going to be laughable. This one, however, has all a lot going for it. Now, when we think of M. Night, we think of twists and turns. Now, before we get this going, this is a new release. We will be spoiling it. However, it, there's not much twist or turns in this film. Uh, it's more of a intense drama. It's got very Stephen King vibes. And I just, I just, I, I know there's something there. So I've seen this film three times. Once, regular viewing is a fewer. Second time, got to see what I missed. Am I missing something? And the third time, I go through it again, taking notes and stuff. Yeah. And my reviews can be kind of interesting. This is the first time I think I've ever done this for a film. Trevor. You have talked about Knock Knock of the Cabin. Don't give the whole review, of course, but yes. you have, I believe it's going to be the new Phantasmagoria, yes. as well as on your radio show. Yes, that's correct. Um, yeah, my written review was basically, well, obviously it's for the upcoming new issue of the mag, and I also read it out on my radio show. Okay. And you and I briefly talked about it because we we had a feeling this would be a good one to do when it comes to the podcast. Because I think you were in the same boat. You're on the fence that I'm at. There's something there, but you needed to rewatch it because you're on the fence. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. That's very much, um, yeah. I think we're going to have a very similar view on this. All right, we're going to jump into it. Which makes a change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, kidding. Um... Well, we might not, because I'm going to open up and say something here. So Go for it. I 
usually when I see a film for the second time, again, guys, this is spoiler filled if you don't want to know what the outcome is. But if you've listened to the beginning of the podcast during the uh, opening intro, I already gave that away. (laughs) (laughs) So sorry. Um, I went from, God, this is, God, I want to like it. I, I, there's something there. I'm going to give it another watch. That was my mentality. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So doing it now for the podcast and getting it set up and watching it again. I think this is probably one of the best horror films I have seen in the recent last couple of years. Right. Yeah. My, my thoughts have just skyrocketed. And this, people who ever seen it, it's got like a 6.2, I think, on IMBD, which is fair. They're saying it's okay. I think a lot of people who put those 6.2s in and they watch this again, this will go up. Because it doesn't have the M. Night twist that everyone's looking for, and that usually destroys the film. Kind of hereditary. The movie's perfect on all aspects. Hereditary is brilliant, but then the last five minutes to me ruined it. Same thing with uh, M. Night Salaman's Old. He did a movie called Old a couple years ago, yes. which you had me the whole way, and then you ruined it with the twist. So this one is more grounded. And I'm going to say now, I think Dave Bustista is an actor. I mean, he is brilliant in this film. He's very good. He steals the show. Yep. Uh, I mean, overall, there are some very good performances in this film. Um, but Dave Bustista, um, he, he steals the show. He's very sinister as Leonard but again he's also very good at at conveying the conflicted emotions of the character who's essentially a good man who is faced with um, an impossible task to carry out that he he, he doesn't want to do he is very impressive Uh, and he's a former wrestler so you know good on the guy UFC I think or something like that yeah yeah whatever he was but uh, he got the part because of it's funny because the M. Night gave him the part because he saw him in Blade Runner 2049. Yes. And if you guys listen to that podcast, I said he was the best scene in the film. So there you go. Uh, we're doing something right. Maybe they listen to our podcast. and like, you know what? <laughs> Maybe, yeah, Kieran Fell was right. I'm going to cast him. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what happened. M. Uh, Night was listening to the podcast and said, yeah, I'm going to, yeah. I trust those guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a plot twist. He listens to us. Uh, this was written originally by Paul Tremblay. The book was originally called Cabin at the End of the World, um, which I'd rather have knock in the cabin. Okay, so we've got, again, movies that with a very minimal cast. M. Night does that, which I like. Uh, we got Leonard, played by Dave Bustista. We've got Eric, played by Jonathan Graff. We've got Ben uh, Andrew by uh, Ben Aldridge. When? Don't know her name, sorry. Little kid, I don't care. <laughs> um, we got Abby, played by Adrian Quinn. And we've got Redmond, who is Rupert Crint, who's also very good in this, even though it's a small part. Yes. And Sabrina, uh, Nikki, Amuka, Bird. Um, I'll tell you right now, every actor in this film is spot on. There isn't one wink link in it at all. Even Everybody nails it. What was that? Even the young actress who, who plays the child. Yeah, yeah. It's well. Let's start off with the, with the introduction of the kid. Let's, in general, let's start off the intro. Um, it's very creepy. Uh, again, watching this a few times. Here's a girl playing, you know, playing with crickets, and you see this big guy from the distance walking toward her, and you're already almost. Even though it's Dave Bautista, it's probably you know, cute little bear, teddy bear. Um, <laughs> 
it almost comes off pedophile. It almost like a pedophile's coming. 100%. It comes like, 100%. You don't know who this guy is, and you don't know what his intentions are yet. So it right there, you're just the... And then the conversation turns to a completely innocent conversation between a simple man and a child. It's unsettling because, just as you said, you know you don't know his intentions, and it's so it's so big, especially when compared to this um, small child. I mean, obviously M Knight has shot it, you know, to make him appear even more sort of big and menacing. Not you would not that you would really need to do that much, you know, due to his actual size. But yeah, it, it's a very very strong scene to open. It is, and the conversation he has with her, it, it, it's kind of a pop boiler because you've already put the audience in that tense moment thinking this poor child is in danger, then he's having an innocent conversation with her, and then you're like, oh, things are going to be okay, and then he pretty much tells her, we need to talk to your, you know, your family, uh, please don't panic, I need to come into your, you know, he kind of sets, sets the stage to this child. And now that tension's back that we just had moments ago. And that's this entire film. Yes. So, and, I mean, we you talk a lot about real writing with your with films, and those, those are the ones you really appreciate. The great thing about this film is that, yes, it's a horror film, but it's a smart horror film, and you kind of go with it, and you actually... Not well. Yeah, you can actually see it happening. That's how well written this is. Yeah, uh, I performed. Yes, we clearly talked about uh, yes uh, yeah. the the actors in it. Now, these four strangers, um, Leonard, Abby, Redmond, and Sabrina, they are we find out the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and each horseman, um carries like you've got Leonard is guidance, Abby's nurturing, yes. Redmond's malice, and Sabrina's healing. She's a nurse. Um nurturing, she's a mother, Abby. Redmond's malice because he's the a rough one. We'll find out what happened what he's done in the past. And guidance, clearly he's the teacher, Leonard. And they all wear their significant colors. Mm-hmm. Um, which is uh Leonard wears white, Abby's blue, Redmond's red, and yellow. And mm-hmm. each of those colors represent what I just said. Yes. Um, and they wore it in T-shirts, which was clever. And what I didn't, I didn't, I, I think there was some inconsistency in it. So when they tie him down, when they tie, when they tie the two guys down, and they're telling that you need to sacrifice one of yourselves in order for the apocalypse to end. And so. I don't know where to go with this one because it's kind of. Now they said that rumor has it this was supposed to be in the nineties, but they say they sell cell phone coverage. No, it's definitely in the pre- in the in the present day. Like that's what I didn't understand because there's some kind of. I think M Night said something about the nineties. I think the politics was supposed to reflect what it was like in the nineties, right? Because we've got it. It it, it deals with homophobia. Yes, yes. Um, and that's a lot of the flashbacks we get where uh, probably the best the best performance on the uh, the non-strangers um, would be probably, they're all really good, but Eric. No, yeah. or Andrew. Who's the one who survives? 
The Turek, isn't it? The Turek, yeah. The, the, the darker haired one. Yeah, he's yeah. the one who got uh, beaten up. And, and, and he's brilliant to portray the anger of that. And, he, you know, later on he talks about, you know, basically about the human race. They're monsters, you know. Um, you know, <clears throat> and there's quite a misanthropic edge to this. As per usual with um, Shia Malan, there is also that, tw- there, there's a Twilight Zone vein that runs throughout it now, i know there's no twist ironic twist that you know he sort of you know pays homage to the twilight zone with it's he sort of made it his own but that sort of there's a definite um big twilight zone feel overall i know it's originally a story by paul tremblay there's also a sort of 1970s disaster movie feel to it um i felt and uh, i like you said earlier on at the start of this um podcast stephen king there's a bit of stephen king in there too yeah, I definitely had that vibe, and I know Stephen King gave Tremblay some notes mm-hmm. before he went when, before he wrote the book, and um, but the scene where they're knocking on the door, and there's Dave Bautista so calm and relaxed, trying to keep the calm because he knows he doesn't want to be. Nobody wants to be here. Yes, and they the scene where they break into the house. They said you got to let us in, or we're gonna have to come in, and they break in. It was so well done and so terrifying, even though at this point you kind of get that he's not there, that he doesn't want to hurt them. It's almost like a very polite version of the strangers. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they're polite burglars, basically. Yeah, and but that whole scene when they're breaking in, especially with Redmond when he's trying to break in through the glass, and and you can tell his anger. Uh, that's why he's malice. Mm-hmm. And he busts through and he gets the, uh, the couch, pushes the couch out of the way. And that's where Eric, um, pretty much beats the shit out of, yes, out of uh, Redmond. So it goes to show you, Redmond could be all angry and ready to go, but in the day, he got his ass kicked. Mm-hmm. So they're not as much as of a threat physically um, at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they get overpowered because you got you know four of them. And Dave Bautista. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it could have been just Dave Bautista on his own. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> um, so he gets concussion. He gets a concussion. Um, yes. Eric does. Eric, no, I'm right. No, it's not Eric. Um, yes, it is. Eric gets a concussion. Andrew is the one who got beaten up. Sorry. Then yes. Well, correct that. Then yes. Um, I, I. Th- um, then it's Andrew that I feel is very good at portraying the sort of rage and the anger. Yeah, because you have that flashback scene where Andrew's parents go to meet Eric, and they were obviously it's showing the parents are are, are against this marriage. Yes, obviously because they're dead. And, yeah, and then he turns to Eric and says, "My parents dr- took drove seven hours to get here, and they stayed for forty five minutes." Yeah, I think it's more the dad as well. Maybe, um, but both probably, of them, basically. Yeah, or she's just not willing to stick up for him. Mm-hmm. But that's where that 90s mentality, I think the, the the 90s mentality is where the film is, but it takes place in the modern world. Yes. Um, so when he gets knocked out and he gets just concussed, this is where Andrew has to take over because Eric's kind of in, in the zone mm-hmm. because he's got the head wound. Um, but that will come back. Because that's the way to throw the audience off. If if Eric is kind of just not adapting everything that's going on because of the concussion, 
or did he see what we're about to talk about? Mm-hmm. And so here's what I don't get. They have to take one of their lives. Yes. If not, every day they have to sacrifice one of the horsemen. That's yeah, that's right. Basically, um, what? Well, it's not every day. It's like you know, every um, is it is it every like few hours or whatever. I was wondering because uh, I got confused because we'll give you another day to think about it after yeah. the, after Redmond takes himself out. So yeah. that's why I got confused. They where... basically were having dreams. Um, were they were all having the same dreams? Um, they were basically um, about the impending apocalypse and what was going to happen. Um, they, they were sort of chosen by God, so to speak, although this isn't fully explained, but it is hinted at, um, to basically be the four horsemen and women of the apocalypse. And um, they, they had, it's about human sacrifice. This goes oh, back to biblical know, sacrifice does, and stuff. Yeah, but what does that have to do with the time element? I, I that's about. just, I, it's not fully explained. I think that's just what um, the big man up in the cloud told them. Okay. And their dreams. All right. So the the origin story has nothing to do with the time thing. Is that what you're telling me now, Trevor? No, no, it is. But it's just never fully you just, explained. You just wasted my entire five minutes. No, bullshit. <laughs> no. Um, well, it kind of does explain because the credits are clever enough. In the beginning, of the, if you see the credits, mm-hmm. you see all these uh, maps yes. being drawn that are go, they're heading to the cabin. And each map is done in some kind of uh, paperwork mm-hmm. that each one would have done, would have used in their jobs. Yes. Like you got a kid's paper being graded. Mm-hmm. That's obviously Leonard's. And then he's, got, he's doodling the map. You've got uh, the uh, Sabrina, who's the nurse. She's got a patient's chart, which she's drawing on. You've got the recipe, which you got Abby, who's the cook. Yes. So each one shows you that they saw this cabin. Um, oh, they were and, instructed in their dreams. Yeah, but that's why you, they have these doodles. Mm-hmm. Yes. Of where they need to go, um, but you can tell it's by the on on, uh, on material that's their profession. Yes, uh, which I thought was kind of neat and clever. All right, so Redmond is he's going to sacrifice himself, and he doesn't want to do it. And his perform, I mean, their performance when they have to take their own lives is 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 so disturbing. It's very and, very well done. Yeah, he's he's like, and when he looks at. The two guys, he goes, I want you to fucking look at me. Don't you look away. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a hard watch. Yeah. And they put this baggie over their face. Mm-hmm. And you can, you just know that uh, Rupert Grant's performance, he's selling it so well that you feel so sorry for this guy. Rupert Grant, um, I would always, um, I've never seen Harry Potter, right? I've never seen a Harry Potter film. I watched a bit of one on TV one time, just not my thing. I've never re- read a Harry Potter book. But obviously, he's heavily associated with ha- um, Harry Potter. So I always sort of would have seen him as, you know, oh, he's just a Harry Potter actor. He was also in an episode of that Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, which I didn't like at all. It was an H.P. Lovecraft um, adaptation of The Dreams of the Witch House. Um, sorry, The Dreams in the Witch House. And um, I didn't like him at all on that. However, he's very impressive here. And yeah, well, he's worked with M. Night before. He's, a, he's in a famous show called The Servant. Mm-hmm. And he's one of the leads in it. So he's got that street cred and working with M Night, but also that kind of intensity. So mm-hmm. If you see that show, you'll you'll see more of what he can do. I haven't seen it. I like the paranoia of Andrew because he thought this was going to be a hate crime. Yes, because he's been so bullied, being a homosexual this whole time, and we see all these flashbacks. And he actually calls Redmond. Redmond, that's that's not Redmond. That's O'Bannon. That's 
That's the guy who beat me up. He glassed him in the bar. He glassed him, which you find out it was. Yes. Why did we never get an explanation? I don't know. I, it, uh, we, we, we aren't given an explanation. We why, should have been given an explanation. Why Redmond about the was chosen. But I know I, I sort of like the whole sort of, you know, left your own sort of the, um, self to join up the dots sort of thing as well. But I think it was more, um, again, my personal take just was more, it was almost like a sort of, there was some sort of, um, like sort of ironic sort of twisted sense of humor from God and and picking Redmond to be one of the the horsemen. There's yeah, a certain I, irony there, and it, it was almost fitting. There's a line that that Redmond says before, he, right before, well, scene before he dies, he says he's try uh, letter trying to calm him down because yes. he's, he's more of the aggressive one. And he says, "It doesn't stop the fact we have to do what we uh, what we have to do, mm-hmm. or what they have to do." Yeah, uh, which pretty much sums up the film. And and each moment that passes, the closer to get to one of them having the sacrifices themselves, they become the uh, the begging or the plead with them with their cases more because obviously they don't want to sacrifice themselves, mm-hmm. which we get from Abby, who talks about her son. Yes, especially Abby because yeah, hers is um the most particular, uh, particularly heartbreaking because of the fact that she has a son and she's actually quite a. I mean, they're all. I mean, Ribbon's a bit of a, an asshole, but he's sort of trying to mend his ways type thing. But they're all generally just ordinary people. Um, but Abby is actually a, a very likable sort of happy chick sort of ditzy type character. Um, so her um, whenever she has to go, um, it, it, it's it's pr- particularly emotional. Now, when Redmond commits suicide, well, sacrifices himself, we get the tsunami. Yes. Then when Abby sacrifices herself, it's the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Andrew thinks this is all fake. Now, there's a scene that I think they could have played better, and it's the probably the pivotal scene, pivotal scene in the movie. We talk about M. Night's twists. This could have worked better as a twist. So when Leonard's about to kill Redmond in his sacrifice, you see Eric staring at the light. And he catches something. He catches the mirror and he catches a, a glow. Mm-hmm. Like, a, like an entity or something. We just see it as the sunlight hitting the mirror. And we see that too. Or the audience sees that. And they could have kept that in and left it alone. But the problem they did was they cut to Eric and Eric staring at it. Mm-hmm. They should have cut. They should not have shown that. No, I mean I thought that was good. That worked for me, okay. And with Eric seeing it, you know, it sort of makes the end no. sense towards no, the no, end. No, 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 no. That's yeah. Of course it does. But now you just let the audience know that he's a he's he's aware now of what's happening and he's going to accept it. You kind of get you let the cat out of the bag there. If you just show the light, the audience kind of looks at it and they're kind of glaring a bit because it's kind of glaring in their yeah, eyes as an audience. And then near the end, he goes, you didn't see the light, did you? And then the audience can reflect back to, oh, yeah, he did see it then. Yeah, well, far enough. That's, there's no fair enough. That's a, that's a much better twist. That's That would have been a better gotcha moment rather than, oh, yeah, Eric saw it. Boom, that's done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they could have played on that a little better. Matter of fact, I don't know why they showed that at all, why they showed Eric's reaction. You should have cut that away. It's not I, suppose, it's like, I suppose it was done just to build tension around Eric, you know, and, you know, just um, so that the progression of his sort of, 
his character arc. But yeah, it would have worked as a twist as well. Yeah, it would have worked twist, but I'm right. Let's reshoot it. Okay, Mr. Better Reshoot. Than M Knight. <laughs> yep. When the scene where Batista sells it and they're talking about the, the visions and Abby told about the horrible one where I have this, I can't get the image and the sound of my child crying in my arms as he's burning. Yeah. Um, because of the apocalypse was happening and so forth. Um, and Batista is is trying to tell them the importance of what's happening and there's and he's he's crying yep you see that yes it's a simple little tear coming out of his eye and he god he sells it so good yeah i i'm I very mean, impressed with uh, batista i mean it was ah oh, so good you know what you know what one of the most powerful scenes for me um was the um uh, it was just so unsettling looking um, the planes falling out of the sky. Yeah, that's yeah. fucking. That was quite. That that's very unsettling. Yeah, near the ending there. Yeah, when the and something glass looks things will think things will fly out fall out of the sky and break like glass. I think that's where I was probably associating it as well, along with the tsunami. You know, the whole sort of seventies disaster sort of film craze as well. There is an element of that. Uh, but yeah, that that's very unsettling seeing all these planes just fall out of the sky. I mean, imagine if that really happened. And again, it's very Twilight Zone. Um, you know, um, yeah, it's and, and this also actually this film also actually reminds me of the film which was produced. It wasn't directed by Shyamalan, but it was produced and written in part by him. Um, Devil from about. Uh, yeah, two thousand and ten or so. Yeah, Devil was that was pretty good. That was the Doyle brothers who did that. Yes, actually, um, yeah, it was a pretty good little film. Mm-hmm. That has the same concept, very claustrophobic. Yeah, um, very li- minimal cast. Yes, uh, and it's a who's who's who, who's telling the truth, who's not. Again, very Twilight Zoney. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think all of Ed Knights are very uh, tw- uh, very uh, Twilight Zoney. Oh yeah, oh, but when it's usually influenced, but you know, it's yeah, that's well, can, apparent. Same thing you can say, saying you can say the same thing about Jordan Peele copying M Night. Yeah, you, you although I think M Night see... is uh, a million times better than Jordan Peele. Uh, I'm not there yet, but I I think because one's more of a veteran at it, he's mm-hmm. got more success at it. So we still the verdict's still out with Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after seeing the Twilight Zone TV series he did, I <laughs> ugh, yeah, it was bad. Well, I think he was more producer in that, but yeah, um, I I've only watched a couple of episodes of it, but I wasn't impressed, um, especially as a hardcore fan of the original black and white, you know, sixty series. Um, when Abby uh, sacrifices herself before, and she tells the story of her kid. Mm-hmm. His name's Charlie. He likes pancakes. And she's trying to plead with them, please don't make me do this to myself. And Eric just looks at her, and it's a great performance by the guy. By both, again, I can't, I can't, the performances are so good. Eric just looks at her, and, and he hates doing it, but he just shakes his head. Mm-hmm. We're not doing this. Yeah. And then she ends up obviously getting, you know, taking her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ben is, and Andrew at this point is a time bomb. He's, he's. Yes. He doesn't know what's going on, um, and it, it, this is where the tail end of everything's happening now. So you've and you've lost Abby and you've lost uh, Red uh, Redmond, and 
this is where everything goes, where, where Wen gives the knife. Okay, so Wen gives the knife to Eric, and Eric starts to escape. Yes, he starts cutting at the ropes. Well, that he yeah, he, ca- he causes chaos. And Andrew says there's, you know, the gun in the car, which they mentioned in the mm-hmm. beginning of the film. He runs to get the, the car. Now, this is how gr- well set up this is, whether it's, direct, it's directed, shot, and acted. He runs to the car to go grab the gun from the backseat of the car. And he uses, you know, his fingerprint, whatever it is. And to get the gun out, and she's coming up. Sabrina's coming after him, and she doesn't want to kill him. Mm-hmm. So I mean, this is this is how novice they are. They're they're, they're not they're they're amateurs. Yeah, yeah, they're not killers. And she's just poking him with the stick with the with the weapon, and he, hurting him, but not kill him. Just stop, stop, stop what you're doing. And he gets the gun, gets the bullets in the gun, and he turns and he shoots right point blank at her face, mm-hmm. and he misses her. Um, again, showing that this guy's scared too. He doesn't want to be here. You got two of these pretty decent people who don't want to hurt each other, and he, it's just, oh, it's just, good, just it, it's such a good scene. Through one into this um, crazy situation, um, and they're just it's it's very well related. And it's um, you know what I mean. This is how sort of ordinary people would react put in this terrible situation. You know what I mean? Desperate desperation. Um, fear, panic, you know, it's, it's all conveyed and conveyed well. And then when he runs back in with the gun um, and tells Pastista, you know, stop what you're doing, get away from my child and, and uh, Eric, then Sabrina runs at him and he doesn't mean to do it, but he mm-hmm. turns into a reflex and shoots her and kills her. That's right. Now, this is where I got confused. Again, I want timeline. And so he... He kills Sabrina, and then obviously they have to cut the heads off mm-hmm. every time they kill one of them. We'll sacrifice it, whatever it is. Yeah. Wouldn't that count as one of the bodies? So, because after the scene, Bostista goes out and kills himself. Yeah. It's a so, bit, there is a bit. Do you get my point where I brought up the timeline earlier? Well, it's like, it, see, how much time do we have here? Yeah, but it's not even so much the timeline. It's. Um, does things not have to be played out exactly as they would have said at the start by Batista to the family? Um, you know, there saying, is. There's there a bit of cheating going on. There's a line that happens. This might explain it. Where Andrew, they're showing him the tsunami. They're showing them the earthquake. They're showing them the virus. You know, the news footage, mm-hmm. and the same with Dave Batista's narrating what she's saying at the same time. Mm-hmm. You don't remember that? Yes, yeah, so oh, that's well, a brilliant scene. That's a great uh, scene. Was he starts letting he tell seen you? Seen it in he, his dream. Yeah. He's seen it, so he knows what she's going to say. Mm-hmm. And and then Andrew goes off. You, you've seen this before. This is all pre-recorded. You're all looking. You, you're timing this. Yeah. This is all. You keep looking at up. your watches. Mm-hmm. He says that you keep looking at your watches, and so and they do. So I think they're looking at the watches because that what their watch tells them when a victim or. A sacrifice has to happen. Yeah, it's it's like every. I don't think it's it has to be twenty four seven. Yeah. So that could be it. It could be just the clock going off, going no this time. We don't need to know it. I I get. I guess my my point is we don't need to know what time they have. They have. They just have to look at their watch and yeah. It's like my my, um sort of take on it was it. It's like every couple of hours or so, or every few few hours where um the end of the season had to be made, and if it didn't, if the family didn't decide to kill one of themselves. Um, then um, one of the four of them had to sort of bite the bullet or, well, get their head cut off, you know. 
So, yeah, so when Sabrina gets, that's when the planes start dropping. Mm-hmm. And Leonard then shows him the news again. The planes are dropping. And then he narrates, Let's they, they see him mouthing the words that she's actually saying live on TV. It's a last-ditch effort to let them know you need to do this. Yeah. Because if I have to take my own life, you've got minutes. Yeah, it has to be for the greater good. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, man, I hated his death. Mm-hmm. Of all of them. I mean, he goes, sits down, and he says, you know, some last words. Yes. Um. He he just says, and the, and the, all of them mentioned the screaming, the mm-hmm. visions of the screaming. They can't get it out of their head. Mm-hmm. Um. But he cuts his throat. Yep. And the violence in this is, you you squint, you're like, ew. Oh no, you but it's really very restrained. Yeah, it's really restrained. Same thing when Redmond got it, you see the. It cuts you away. Don't see, you don't see the top of his head. You just see the back of his head. The camera pans the, away or whatever. Yeah. No, you hear the boom. And you see the head thump, and then you see the blood from behind. Yes. It's very um, restrained and sort of maturely handled. Yeah. Um, and you're right. You know, like, we always want to see more gore. This movie, would it would ruin it if you put yeah. more gore in it. Uh, yes, exactly. I mean, you know, um, in context, I think um, Shyamalan made the right decision not to go, you know, go, you know, it's about the emotional impact as opposed to the fuck yeah the cool impact you know fuck yeah there's a head getting cut off you know like you would do with like a zombie film or something and or that's a dead film and that's why i said in the beginning where this plays more like a horror drama oh where there's a reality to it where if you try goring it up then it becomes just a slasher yeah and it, it's smart enough it doesn't need to be that to me it's and, not even i wouldn't even class it as a horror drama i would class it just as a supernatural drama but that's just me yeah. being pedantic. Well, it could be. Most of his stuff supernatural. I don't think it's horror, yeah. most of it. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, um, definitely supernatural as opposed to horror. But, you know, it, you know, I suppose there is horror elements there as well. Um, when Bastista ends his life, mm-hmm. Eric says, "I'm gonna t- it's, you got to kill me. Yes. Um, and he says, I saw the light. That's what I'm saying. Don't you get my point, though? If no, they, I, if they I, held I, that, they could have. It doesn't ruin the film by any means, but that would have been a nice little, you know, we don't have that end night twist. That yes. could have been it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so the audience wasn't just seeing a light. He, it was for him. And now we got the twist. That mm-hmm. would have been all right. Mm-hmm. And then he shows Andrew a vision that of older Andrew and older Wen going off to do something. Yeah, Wayne's all growing up and uh, Andrew's a bit um, older and stuff. Yeah. And so Andrew finally says the words, they've been waiting the whole movie, mm-hmm. I believe you. Yeah. And then he kills them. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, man, his performance, when he goes up to the treehouse. Yes. And he hugs hugs Wen. Yeah. Because he just killed his, you know, partner. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, God, good scene. It's, it's very, um, I mean, overall, this film is brilliantly performed. Uh, by the actors, all of the actors, um, and it does. It is very emotional. However, uh, you know, I'm sort of maybe I'm the pick. I don't know, but with a lot of M Night Shyamalan stuff, I do feel that there is just something missing. There's just that uh, while there, there is a great lot lot of tension and stuff, I just feel it, it, there's just like a final sort of edge to it. It's always missing, or perhaps maybe I've just seen it all before type thing. I I was look I I was a bit pissed that I didn't get a twist, 
because he's you know renowned for his twists and you know um that sort of thing i did find it uh while it's very well sort of realized and portrayed i did find it predictable well, I mean, at the end when they go to the cafe, and then, yes. yeah, this part's cliche. We, you look at the news. Oh, the planes are landing now. Oh, yeah. the waters are receding. Yeah. And everything's, you know, happy. Um, and then they, they look at the bag. They take one of the trucks of, of Redmond, and they look at the bag, and they see that Leonard was a teacher. Yes. Redmond was a guest. But his name was O'Bannon, and he was the guy who beat the crap out of him. Yeah. Um, the flaws I have with it are really only two. And the one is... I wanted more on the Redman character. Why was he there then? Yeah, because that that was that not started explained. Because that started putting self doubt in Abby's mind. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Abby goes, "Wait a minute, that's right. Why he's the one who brought us to this cabin? Mm-hmm. Why'd you pick these guys? Mm-hmm. Because he beat the crap out of one of them. So maybe he's just there to." And if Redman had a connection to them, did the others have a connection to him? Exactly. We you need know? S- that could have been a twist. We need something there. Yes. Because at the end, at the end, he looks at the ba- the badge, the gas works. It says O'Bannon. Well, we already know that. So why are you showing us again? Because mm-hmm. um, we look at the license. Remember that. Mm-hmm. So we know that that was O'Bannon, not Redmond. Yes. So why show it twice if you're not going to give us an outcome mm-hmm. out of it? Well, that's it. I mean, a, a brilliant twist could have been that they are all related. Um, I mean, you could even had the whole sort of O'Bannon. You know, you could have had, you know, um, Andrew talking about, you know throughout talking about getting beat up in a homophobic attack and stuff and um then the, the big twist could have been that actually the four like the two men and two women the horsemen of the apocalypse um are all related to them in some way and that's when you could have revealed that it was actually um the wee guy from harry potter who was actually behind redmond wee guy uh, from harry potter yeah <laughs> um, uh, who was behind the attack that scarred andrew so much and made him so angry and aggressive that should have been kept to the end, as opposed to, you know, well, what you're saying could have worked as well, you know. With no, the, the I, I don't. The mirror. But yeah, well, I think I think I made my point though. Yes, I'm going to stick with it. I think, and I, and yeah, I, I don't know if you're not agreeing with me, just to sake for not agreeing with me, but I am completely right when I say. What Eric, are you talking about not agreeing with me? I agree with no, you. No, no, no. Let me. Would you let me finish? <laughs> I'll beat the crap out of you. I'm gonna get the po- four horsemen of the apocalypse on you. <laughs> You'd be like, "Go ahead, kill yourself." I don't care. I'm watching Doctor Who. Fuck <laughs> the apocalypse. I don't care. <laughs> I'm tired. It'd be yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. It'd be like lighthouse kind of theme to it. Uh, yeah, I want to see planes fall out of the sky. <laughs> um, Real no. life Twilight Zone. You ahead. talk about you want a twist. Yes. I, and I'm going to say it again. They should not have shown the audience Eric's reaction to the glow because that would have been their twist. Because I think if we got that at the very end, that he saw the light and then the audience goes, oh, he did see that, that would have been better. At least you would have got your little twist you kind of wanted, which you're right. It doesn't really have much of a twist. But that at least you would you have left more satisfied yeah, but, yeah, with somewhat of some. a twist if that was something in there. Yeah, although the twist, um, now that we're discussing it, um, that I think would have been even better, would have been um, the basically realisation of Andrew at the very, very end that he was actually connected to all four of them um, and in some shape or form. Uh, and this is where the audience first find, finds out that it was actually Redmond behind the homophobic attack to, against him who glassed him that time in the bar. So that would have been, to me, a much better twist if it's like the realisation. You know, like the end of The Usual Suspects where the cop looks at the, the nose board and, you know, the penny drops. Something like that where he realises, oh, actually, these people have been connected to my life in some way. 
Yeah, it could have been a series. It could have been the nurse. You had Sabrina, the nurse. She could have been the one who healed, who fixed him when he was in the hospital. You could have the teach. Leonard could be the teacher of Yen or Wen, whatever her name is. Yes. You could have. I mean, there's a series of different things you could do. Big time. But the problem is with M Night here. He let the cat. He let the cats out of the bag too soon. Mm-hmm. Like we knew O'Bannon. That was the O'Bannon, because we see him go out the cab and look at the license and go, look, his name is O'Bannon. Yeah, that's well, we knew point. that. Yeah. We knew that halfway through the film. Mm-hmm. And then we already knew he saw the light because you show us that he saw the light halfway through the film. So the two big twists, you kind of gave it to us already. So it was like, oh, that's it then? He should have kept it all for the end. He should have kept it for the end and let him have a flashback in the yeah. like a conversation that happened in the cabin. Or, or you could have seen you know, the attack... Um, which is you don't actually see O'Bannon actually you don't actually see his face during the attack when the flashback but um, if it had been completely sort of you know kept secret right to the end it would have worked so much better well we didn't get that but I will say now besides you know the two little faux pas I have to say this is a wonderful film I actually could watch it again I don't think I'd get this out of this again. And a second, the guys, this does warrant a second or third viewing. Um, I'll definitely get it from my collection because I actually surprisingly really enjoy this film. I mean, Dave Bustista's. I mean, not to, all the cast is brilliant, but Dave Bustista and the guy who plays Andrew is is stellar. Eric as well, the guy who plays Eric. Yeah, they're all good. Yeah, they're all good. I I would say that I feel that it is strong, but I have seen and exceptionally well realized. But, um, you know, in terms of acting and, you know, tension and stuff like that. However, I was wanting a bit more and I have seen it all before. And, yeah, it's, but, I mean, I would certainly recommend it. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, I just want, I was just curious to see where you laid on this one after we said we were on the fence with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I went, I jumped completely on the opposite side of the fence where I thought I was going to, didn't think I was going to go. Mm-hmm. Where you kind of still are on the fence a little bit. Maybe I need uh, to watch it again. I bet you. I bet you. If you watch it again, you appreciate like, oh, it more. Oh my God, Kieran's genius. <laughs> Kieran was right. You should not have seen the light. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, guys, check it out. M Night's not. M Night's really hit or miss. I mean, uh, he's more hit than he is miss. Uh, like the last last Airbender and fucking Lady in the Water. Yeah. Oh God, and, and the happening with the killer wind. I like him though. You know, just in general, I love the cameos he makes in his own films. You know, Hitchcock style. And this one, he's talking. What is it? He's on like a like a, a food channel or some cable, like channel, a QVC shopping shit network, about, um, sort of fried chicken. <laughs> yeah. His um, daughter's now directing a film, right? Is she? Yeah, with twists and turns. So it'd be interesting to see what they do. And he's already working on his new film. Um, so it should be interesting uh, what he comes up with. Uh, I, I hope he goes. I, I like to see him do a good whodunit. Mm. You know, like an Agatha the Christie. Yeah. I, you know, like like what you get with Rian Johnson, who does the Knives Out movies and stuff. I think that would be fun because I think he'd do a nice job with it, and he'll get a good cast. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think personally, next to Meryl's wedding, he put Tony Clinton in the map. Yeah, with uh, her performance in The Sixth Sense, uh, yeah, got her the got her the Oscar nod. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there you have it. All right, uh, wrap this one up. The next one's gonna be Assault of Precinct Thirteen. We will get that out to you later on in the week. We were just curious on how how this one would play out. That's the reason why we did it. Like I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast. But bit of uh, a, um, a shameless plug here now. The writer of the original novel, Paul Tremblay, is interviewed in the upcoming brand new issue of Phantasmagoria, which is out this a time of recording and release. Um, this coming week, the, fir- the first sort of week um, f- in full in March. 
Wow. Just blatant plug there. <laughs> she wow. has self promotion. You're in the magazine. You should be happy. <laughs> yeah, people get to get it because of me. I know that. Yeah, they're like, oh my god, that Kieran guy. That's so why Paul Trampley came on board. <laughs> yeah, yeah, is that Kieran guy gonna be doing something? Yeah, oh, I'm in. <laughs> That's what's so um, him. <laughs> uh, if you want to reach out to us, guys, uh, feel free to do that at Citizen Frame underscore Podcast, and of course Facebook and the soon to be website, which is in early development stages. <laughs> We'll get there. Uh, I'm horrible at websites. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, the latest issue of Phantasmagoria magazine will be out any any day now. It will be available on Amazon all over the world, and of course, locally at Forbidden Planet. Yep, guys, thanks for joining us. We're gonna wrap this one up. Take care. Of yourself.